0: Hello, people. It's your boy Caesar here, and this is a Hybrid Club podcast. I hope all is good. Um, so, this is a full match review following the 3 0 win on the South Coast at the of Vitality against AFC Bournemouth. And what a win it was. As I said on the one shot uh, yesterday, I wanted dominance. I got dominance. Um, this was the performance I think we all wanted to see. So we're going to delve into a bit of that, some of the thematic stuff, some of the tactical stuff, just some of the things we saw, some of the reasons for us for us to be optimistic, but also one or two things to look out for that we might want to improve. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club. You know where to find me at C S A S C E A S E S A W Y S. So let's get into it. Um, the lineups were for on the Arsenal side. of things were as expected, um, you had Ramsdale in goal, Ben White, Saliba. Gabriel Megaleis Mag- and Zinchenko. Um, party Odegaard, Shaka, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus. Um, so exactly it was the first two games and as it was for the last couple of games of pre-season. Um, obviously, Fabio Rivera on the bench, Smith-Rowe and Nketiah, um Lakonga. So we have a bit more depth. Tomiyasu there as well. So it's it, it's great that we've got it. But I think the players have done so well so far. You're not going to make any changes and you're going to expect this team to be able to go out against uh, Bournemouth and, and dominate as as good as as good as Bournemouth have looked in moments this season. I think you'd expect Arsenal to, to get the win. Bournemouth, they set up in a 5-3-2. Um, so I think one of the things that I was expecting Bournemouth to do this game was very much a low block, sharp shop, And I think for the most part, that's what they did um the idea i think they they would have expected is that when arsenal move into the final third uh Bournemouth will start to compress the pitch essentially and sort of box arsenal in or, or make sure arsenal don't have space to create and hope that they can pressure arsenal into sort of hopeful crosses into the box or playing the ball back or you know the fate horseshoe of death whatever the case is and so arsenal's job really was going to have to be to try and create space by really good movement or really quick passing in that pressure to try and get out of it. Um, that being said, it looks like Arteta, Arteta scouted them and found another way around it. Um, so the idea being to you know play the ball side to side around, try and create spaces, good movement, try and distort their space with good movement. So in other words, if one player drops into midfield and then gives and goes and heads back up, Bournemouth player has to decide whether to follow them or to stay back. And if if different players are doing that kind of movement, the different Bournemouth players have different decisions to make and it just messes with their shape a bit. So lots of quick passing, lots of quick movement, and just try and see if you can create space between the Bournemouth players so that you can isolate their players and and take them on and start to create those triangles. So it was interesting to see um, how each team was going to go about it. As I said, I expected a low block from from Bournemouth, as I think we all did. So then it was just a question of how Arsenal were going to go about breaking them down. So, obviously, Arsenal doing their, their positional play, so 2-3-5 or 3-2-5, depending on the situation. Um, so, in, almost immediately into the game, you'd see Zinchenko stepping into midfield and Ben White in the defensive right half space. Um, and, in fact, that's that would be the 3-2-5, and we saw that for the second goal where Ben White drove forward into midfield and did the exchange for Bukayo Saka. Um, now, obviously, these, this situation will have good and bad. Um, aspects to it that we'll go into a bit later. But essentially, it's the same thing we saw against Palace, the same thing we saw against Leicester. It does leave an ocean of space, particularly behind the fullback in those defensive half spaces of the Arsenal pitch. And better teams than Bournemouth may well find a way to exploit that. So it'll be interesting to see how Arteta tweaks the, the positional play and the, the formation to address that. Or whether even he does, whether he just thinks, take on all comers, try and beat us. And, you know, as we've mentioned before on the pod, you've got really good one-on-one defenders now. So he's probably thinking, put the ball over the top and get into a foot race with Saliba I So, yeah, I mean, if you see on, if you look back on the game, um, I had a look back myself around two minutes, 20 seconds in, we're in our attacking positions already. So you can see uh, Saka on the right attacking half space and he exchanges passes with Ben White. And the moment the um, he does that, the attack gives him three options. He can either go for a give-and-go of Saka, so Saka gives it to him and he gives it back to Saka, who then you know drives into the box and cuts it back. Or a chipped ball over the defence, um, almost laterally in front of him to, to Odegaard. Or he can take, took the option uh, take the option that he took, which is a floated ball into the box, which is just narrowly missed by a line of Arsenal players. And that's the thing with the positional play, it gives you that line of five attackers. So if you've got two of those players exchanging uh, balls on one side of the flank, you've got a line of players waiting for the ball in the box, or those two players do a give and go, cut back into the box, and you've got a line of players waiting to put it in, and they should be in sort of different lines. So one the forward, one in the middle, one the back, depending on where the cutback comes. So that whole approach, that positional play that Arteta does really does give you multiple options. And we saw that early in the game, that the players were, you know, in their attacking positions and then in, you know, it's actually imposing their principles, that positional play, pretty early on, which is great. Um, I didn't realize, actually, looking back, I didn't realize how quickly the first goal came. First goal was around four, you know inside the fourth minute, um, and what a goal it was! This is an example of individual brilliance. So there are a few ways in which this Arsenal side is different to the Arsenal sides of recent seasons, and one way is the obvious way that we've all spoken about, which is the increase in individual quality and individual ability that's been demonstrated um, by the new additions. And I don't think that has been encapsulated more than by what we've seen and what we've got from Gabriel Jesus. So in this particular situation, um, it's all about Gabriel Jesus and it's all about the individual brilliance because it pretty much creates the opening for everything else to happen. Um, so further back up the pitch, you saw uh, Gabriel Magalias hand the ball over to Martinelli. He goes wide. Um, some really good hold-up players. He's running back towards uh, R1 goal, back towards midfield. He does a crossfield pass to uh, Ben White. And White, first time, basically plays the full ball forward high in the air. I don't know whether it's a miss hit or it's just sort of... He's just aiming to progress the ball up the field, but it loops really high in the air. And this is where the genius kicks in. Because not only is the ball dropping from height, which means Jesus just has to get the ball under control in any case... He has to get the ball under control in a way that allows him to do something with it, or at the very least retain possession. And what he does is phenomenal because he takes that first time touch and brings the ball down perfectly, but not perfectly on his foot, perfectly though that it spins just behind him, that will allow him essentially to step into it with his stride as he's running forward. So it literally, imagine he was just gonna spin the defender to make a run. The ball is perfectly placed for him to make that run in step with his stride. So that is impeccable technique, first of all. But not only does he do that, I mean, that would be an impe- impeccable technique if he just did it under no pressure. To do it with a defender right up his back, to then spin that defender and leave him on his ass, to then progress the ball upfield is ridiculous. But he's not done. That's just the first action. That's, I mean, that in itself is ridiculous. But as he makes the perfectly timed turn, and leaves the, the, the ball of player. He then drives forward, but at an angle that allows him to skip past Lerma's challenge, despite the ball being on the defender's side. What I mean is he, he drives forward in such a dynamic way that he can kind of tilt his shoulder just a little bit, and he can just almost run a curved run and escape Lerma's challenge, despite the fact, technically speaking, the ball is sort of... Lerma side as it were so Lerma could technically just stick a ball out and knock the ball away but the run is so well timed so sharp and so dynamic that Lerma's trying to sort his feet out to get the challenge in so he can't even attack the ball and Jesus has already passed him by the time he's got himself together he then adjusts his feet to skip past the challenge of another defender so he's gone past three at this point and remember what I was saying earlier about disrupting the ball of shape by doing that, and by disrupting the Bournemouth shape, he's taken three Bournemouth players out of the game. All of a sudden, other players have space. And we saw that because as he skips past that third Bournemouth defender, he 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 motions to go inside just as he plays the reverse pass back, uh, back on himself into the path of Gabriel Martinelli, who having started the move with Big Gabby earlier, has continued to make a darting run into the box and now has picked up the ball from um, Gabriel Jesus it is a brilliant piece of individual play completely takes out a bunch of Bournemouth players and leaves space for uh, Martinelli who makes a low drive into the box low drive uh, shot the keeper managed to save it and it falls basically onto the penalty area where Odegaard is and he just has to adjust his feet for the tapping what is brilliant about that as well is that Odegaard made the run and he was there for the tapping and we've spoken about Odegaard needing to get goals needing to provide more and he was in the right place at the right time to be able to take advantage of brilliant play from his teammates. So realistically that is fantastic. That's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we need. Um, it's, it's genuinely, it's genuinely sensational stuff. I mean, there's really not much to say that hasn't really been said, but it's just to, uh, it's just to emphasize the point that individual brilliance really can make a difference, particularly in a low scoring sport, like, like football we saw that individual brilliance against Leicester we saw it again today we saw it with the run and the quick feet against Palace if Jesus can keep this up throughout the season who knows this is this is a special player and we are fortunate that he's here in the red and white but it's also clear that we are giving him the license to play the kind of football he wants to play so it's brilliant to see um six minutes in and you can see we've got the ball and it's the two three five again so again move the ball around to distort their, distort their shape. You've got the attacking five who can get the ball, turn turn on a dime, drive forward, create triangles. So it's all about, like I said, that positional play. It's all about trying to get our players in a position where we can move and use our movement and quick passing to move the ball players around and also alternatively use that bit of individual brilliance. So by doing that, the one thing we've done that's a lot better in this uh, Arteta Arsenal than the earlier iterations is multiple modes of attacking threat so as i said if you've got the positional play and you can create the triangles um great but equally where they're expecting a pass or they're expecting some quick interplay one of the players could just put their foot on the ball turn and go and drive and all of a sudden they've got a different challenge to face and that's that's something that's brilliant to see um the second goal again i couldn't i honestly didn't remember i then going back to watch the game I did not realise how quickly the first two goals came. Um, but to be honest, after the first goal went in, I was pretty certain we were going to have a comfortable day, to be honest. And the second goal pretty much just um, for me, it didn't end the game because I think the third goal did, but it certainly put my nerves to bed and made me think, okay, if we're going to lose this, or if we're going to drop points, is either going to be something silly or they're going to need to come out? And I was pretty certain that if they came out, that space would be something we could take advantage of. But the second goal came around uh, in and around the 10th minute and um you saw odegaard and martinelli exchanging quick passes a close range in the center of the pitch um, the ball gets played over to ben white and this is where i was talking about earlier sort of ben white being in the right defensive half space and because uh with the positional play and with the way the midfielders are everyone's a bit more bunched up in the center of the pitch there's all that space um wider in the wide defensive spaces and that's where ben white drives forward and he drives forward into the attacking third and that's where he sort of links up with saka so he gives the ball to saka saka jockeys on on uh, wide right brings the bournemouth player to him ben white continues on the overlap and some sort of traditional attacking fullback play uh plays the ball into the box and jesus takes the touch the the touch takes the ball away from him but he's there to to swing a right foot at it but before he does there just absolutely hits it with his left boot and just smashes it past the keeper, 2-0. And that's brilliant because that's an example of Arteta's positional play doing what it's supposed to do. Again, like we spoke about with the um, earlier chance, the exchange, the give and go with Ben White, Saka drawing a player in, ball into the box, and suddenly we've got a line of our players there to take advantage once the ball comes in. One of the big issues we had last season is no one was in the box. We do all the work and no one was there. And now all of a sudden we're doing that movement and Shaka's there and Jesus is there and Odegaard is there. And that's what this positional play gives you. And that's what having quality players in those positions give you. So it's it's brilliant to see us do it and it's brilliant to see us do it well. Um, so that's two goals from the captain. And look, for the last couple of weeks, you know, people have been saying, um, you know, oh, I'm not sure if we're getting enough from Odegaard. Uh, is he playing well enough? You know, the right-hand side's suffering because the left-hand side is all the emphasis. And I was saying, and, and a few others, you know, look, everything we do is going through Odegaard. You'll see times in the game, if you watch it back, where he's dropping into midfield to link up, to keep the ball moving, and then driving back into the uh, right attacking half space. So needless to say, he, he is dictating the flow of our game. But you don't need to worry if he's not making the decisive movements because you have games that are his game. And this is one of those games which is his type of game. Two goals, fantastic play, exactly what he deserves. And Saka was instrumental in, in, you know, in the second one, certainly. So I wouldn't be worried about his form either. Um, ultimately, it just means that the burden isn't on him. The burden isn't on Odegaard, but they are of critical importance to the play so it's brilliant to see we need those goals from him and he's already got um the two goals today so that's brilliant um i mean look bournemouth weren't great let's just put it out there we have to add the caveat they were not good there were some really sloppy passes particularly in the first half some sloppy passes where you can literally see them under not much pressure just giving the ball away just booting the ball back upfield um, and we'd collect the ball, you know, regain, retain and go again. And it just, it was poor. It was poor from Bournemouth. They they would have expected to do better again, particularly in that first half. But again, we were putting them under pressure. We are the better team. So ultimately it is difficult in the moment. But so what can you do? Um, it, was, it wasn't just great play from us on the attacking side of things. It was also great play from us on the defensive side of things. You know, we shut them out this game. So that wasn't just because Bournemouth were maybe somewhat lacking in attacking threat. You know, Kiefer Moore worked really hard during that game and he did really well. He did what he could, but I just don't think the service was really there for him. He had a couple of moments where he could have made, took advantage um, of some service in the second half. A really good save from Ramsdale towards the end, but it really, uh, really hard day at the office for him. But he, he, he did well, I think. But there was one particular moment, actually, um, I think it was around the 14th minute, Ben White. Uh, plays a loose ball into midfield, and Keith Moore's onto it. And to be fair to him, he shows a good turn of pace to drive towards goal. Um, but Saliba's doing a recovery run uh, to catch up to him, challenge him. Ben White's also running back as well to challenge him. So the two of them having sort of in a pincer movement, drive him towards the, uh, the touchline. And Saliba, with a brilliant piece of, again, one-on-one defending, standing tackle, just... Picks his moment and knocks the ball into more out for an Arsenal throwing. And it's just a great example of that defensive play where the way we play leaves that space in those channels. But we have good one-on-one defenders who can take action when that happens. And that is one of the big reasons why Arteta can do this positional play. He can push five plays into attack because he trusts the players he has at the back to be able to handle what comes up and put out any fires. And that's pretty much what we got. Um, but pretty much for the rest of the second half We had you know pretty much complete control It was very much a case of the game retain, keep probing Keep pushing and seeing what could happen um, Second half kicked off And the first thing I heard was the Red Army chant Just as the game kicks off And I just thought, I love our fans I love the way fans um, You could hear them pretty much straight away And in fact, the Saliba chant which we will get to by the way because like the rest of you I am loving that I cannot get it out of my head at all but I I didn't hear the sleep chant until a few minutes into the second minute I don't know why I heard you know the Zenchenko chant you know I heard a lot of the typical Arsenal chants and um, you know even the Vieira chant hasn't kicked the ball for the first team yet um, but I heard the Vieira chant but I didn't hear the sleeper one until the second minute but it the moment you heard it ah it was just yeah, it's fantastic. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um Bournemouth were a lot better in the second half, I think. I say a lot better. They were better. Let's not, you know, let's not over-regular put in. Um 48 minutes in, they had a throw in deep into our pen area, headed away by Big Gabby. But it was just an example of the area aerial threat they had the day. And I reference, you know, chance chance for for more later in the day that was well saved by Ramsdale. But um they were, they were definitely better. Speaking of Ramsdale, he did have another sort of kicking snafu but as i say you know uh, so he goes to he goes to kick the play i think it's anthony for bournemouth who applies pressure and ramsdale just you know he's going for one of those sign where the kicks and just miscues it just skews it a bit and it pretty much lands uh for Lerma who i don't know he sort of lacks the composure and just puts it over as opposed to sort of taking his time and picking a better option ramsdale sort of protested to the ref i think he felt like it was uh, sort of undue pressure, but I, I don't think it was. I think he was just under a bit of pressure and, and flinched, to be honest. Um, but yeah, those he's had a couple of moments in pretty much every game now. Um, but I'm not worried. I, I just think when you have a goalkeeper who, number one, he is young, he is learning, he's getting better. He's nowhere near the age that goalkeepers usually peak at. He's not even close to it. So he is just going to get better, I think. But also I, I just think when you're when you have a goalkeeper who plays this style, you're gonna get those moments. In the same way that if you have players um who do a lot of tacking motions or are, you know, very creative, every now and again they're gonna give the ball away. This is just, I think, part and parcel of it. But what I would say is he does need to to try to work on that only because a better team and a better player will take advantage of that so he'll want to do better next time but as I said for me that's just one of those things that kind of comes with that Um, but otherwise you know he had a relatively quiet game but the the important thing about being a goalkeeper for a top team is you're not going to have much to do most of the time but there are times that when you're needed you need to stay sharp you need to stay ready you need to stay focused and you need to to be ready to to uh, sort of see out that that Defensive action that you need to to keep a clean sheet, and that's what Ramsdale did today. So credit to him. Um, talking about the Saliba chart earlier, William Saliba, I mean, Player of the Match in his in, in his uh, debut in the Premier League. He has the own, own goal situation against Leicester, but you know the the crowd are immediately on his back, and we respond with a quick goal to to pretty much wipe it out. And otherwise, he just generally is, is basking in the love of the Arsenal fan base. And today, he gets his goal. And uh, what a goal it is. I do have some questions, though, uh, but what a goal. It's not even just the goal, it's the reactions to the goal that, that absolutely kill me. So, Saka wins the ball on the right hand side of the pitch and, and sort of is bundled over by two players. And that's another example of Bukayo Saka. Um, being effective in that he draws players to him and he's so dangerous that sometimes players need to double up on him. Doubling up on him means potential for a foul, but also freeing up space for other players. Um but in this case, he wins the foul. Um and it you see that you see that sight that I think we're going to get accustomed to seeing this season if all goes well, which is Erdegaard and Martinelli standing over a free kick and talking about what to do. And uh yeah, you see, it's a quick give and go between Martinelli and Odegaard. Martinelli then heads down the wing and he's jockeying the Bournemouth defender. Bournemouth defender slides in to block the cross, but Martinelli plays it over the top. Deep ball into the box. Shaka chests it down um, on the far side of the box and plays it back towards the edge of goal. And standing on the edge of the penalty area is young William Saliba. And you can see the moment that he knows that ball is coming down, he has one thing in mind. He adjusts his feet and swipes his left foot at it and perfectly, perfectly sails the ball into the top right-hand corner of the Bournemouth goal, over the the diving goalkeeper's hands, but under the bar. He had a very, relatively very narrow space to aim that ball at, and he had to get the right whip on it, the right pace. Everything about it was perfect, almost as perfect as the knee slide to celebrate brilliant goal brilliant celebration brilliant technique you saw Zinchenko hands on his head couldn't believe it you saw the reaction of some of the players was just ridiculous some of the faces in the crowd ridiculous fantastic goal well deserved and yet another way for this young player to ingratiate himself on this Arsenal fan base now I'm not being funny 27 million pounds was a lot to pay for a defender that young he's 18 19 whatever it was um 27 million right now looks like an absolute bargain imagine we bought him this summer and i told you we paid 27 million pounds for him absolute steal considering what some of the other players in this league cost i mean harry Maguire 80 million we know we know english tax but you get my point point. and again we know not all transfer sums are, are relative well sorry right all transfer sums are relative and, and, you know, subjective in some degree or another. But it's just £27 million for a player that good. The only thing we need to do is sign him up. Saliba, we've been here before. You know the drill. Sign the thing. That's really all it is. Sign the thing, Because realistically, we need him to stay. He looks so good, so composed. Three games in, a lot can change. So we're not getting ahead of ourselves. It was just a really great performance, really great goal, really well-deserved. And the fans brought that Saliba song out in force for pretty much the rest of the game. Sensational! I I, I imagine that tequila sales all over the country, all over the world, shut up by about hundred uh, percent by the end of yesterday, by the end of the weekend. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic game for the players and fantastic game for the fans. Really well done. Um, the only thing was you saw the reaction after the game from Arteta from Zinchenko from Odegaard from a bunch of the players you know I think Ramsdale as well a bunch of the players were sort of like nah he never does that that is just wild I've never seen that before everyone was genuinely shocked um, at how good that was and you know obviously no one really expects that from a centre back but I can't help but feel that that free kick routine was it was a routine as it was something that was practised and if it was practised then surely if Saliba was stood in that spot when that ball was played back by Shaka, then he's the one who's been doing that so I can only assume that they've been doing it in training and he's been missing every time and that they do it in the game and he pulls it off that's the only thing I can assume because to me and Arteta even celebrated with Nikola Yoga on the bench when it went in to me it looked like a set piece routine I could be wrong it could just be so well improvised by the players that it looked like they practiced it but that looked like a routine to me and if it was, if Saliba wasn't meant to be there, who was? And if he was meant to be there, I can only assume it means he's absolutely bollocksed it up every time in training and it gets to the game and he pulls it off. Either way, I don't care. Beautiful. Um, we also saw some brilliant interplay midfield um, later on in the half. guard received the ball on the edge of the area and played the ball behind the defensive line with the outside of his left foot in what would have been an absolutely sumptuous assist. Honestly, go back and look at it. Um, the ball comes through to Jesus, he's run onto it, he sits the goalkeeper down and chips the ball into what would have been 4-0, but for you know, his pixelated toenail being offside, which again, I think we really need to talk about the spirit of the rules. Fair enough, the literal interpretation is you're a granule offside, but the offside rules, you know, meant to essentially stop goal hanging. The idea that it wasn't meant to just to decide things to this level of minutia and it just, it's following the, the, you know, it's following the strict letter of the law, but I don't think it's following the, following the spirit of the law, but that's, that's a rant for another time. Um, the reality is it was an offside goal, but it would have been a brilliant assist for Odegaard and, you know, two goals and an assist would have been well-deserved. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly is, um, it's a sign of just how good the relationship is because we've spoken a lot about the relationship between Jesus and Martinelli and that left-hand side so it's good to see that relationship obviously building between Odegaard and Jesus because I suspect there's a lot of um there's a lot of assists to come between the two of them as well towards the end of the game you know we saw some um, substitutions come on for Arsenal so I think we had Tierney come on Smith Rowe and Ketia uh Tom Yasu and Lokonga. And Tommy Yasu had a couple of really good moments um, after coming on. Nketiah had a moment as well where he sort of ran through on goal and a uh, low drive, well saved. It's a shame as well because I really, every time he comes on the pitch, I'm sure I'm not the only one, every time he comes on the pitch, I really want Nketiah to score. You know, but as he said before, if you, you know, if you only play a certain amount of minutes, it's really difficult to impact the game. Um, so, and we're three no up. So it's not exactly like he's, he's, it's an entire sort of attacking effort for everyone forward. So, you know, the subs came on, they did well, they did their thing. It's good to see smith get some minutes. It's good to see uh, TNE and Tommy get some minutes. And also, you know, we don't want a situation last season where the subs and the squad players are, you know, they get so few minutes that they're quite detached and they're quite cold when they have to come on. You want them to be able to impact the game and impact the squad. So it's good to see the likes of Enketia and Lokonga getting minutes in games, particularly when the game's dead and, you know, that third goal killed the game. So I'm, I'm happy to see that. Um, so yeah, I mean the rest of the game, much ado about nothing, to be honest, game was killed off by that, by that third goal. So all that was left was for the Arsenal fans to, uh, have a little celebration. And yeah, those celebrations kicked off into earnest when the final whistle, went. The, the boys went over to the away fans who were brilliant all game. I know I've said it before, but they genuinely were shout out to the away fans. Um, And, yeah, you could see the adulation when Saliba came over, when the rest of the players came over. The fans were just singing for them, and they were loving it, and, you know, it was an all-loving. So, yeah, long may that continue. Um, I think, as I said before, you know, and I said on a previous pod, what I wanted from this game was total domination. So I wanted us to, you know, apply our our principles of play, um, attack, keep the ball, break them down, score the goals, keep a clean sheet, total domination. That's exactly what we got. So I could not have asked for more. The boys did brilliantly. Honestly, really, really proud of them. So great day on the South Coast, and we move. Um, so that's the end of part one. Uh, part two, just gonna take a look at some of the themes and other things that sort of spotted in the game and that just came out of the game in general thought. So I'll see you in a bit. Hello people, it's your boy CZ here and this is part two of the Highbury Club podcast looking back at the win against Bournemouth on Saturday evening. Um, So yeah, as we said, total domination, exactly what I wanted, got exactly exactly what uh, what was expected. So, you know, three goals to their nil, 14 shots to their six, six shots on target to their one, four block shots to their zero, 11 shots from outside the box to their four, 60% shot, shot accuracy. I mean that is very much domination. So, um, like I said, it's it's what we see. And in fact, it wasn't just the um, attacking stats that look great. Take a look at the defensive stats for in the first half, for example, for William Saliba: one hundred percent pass accuracy, one hundred percent long ball accuracy, one hundred percent duels one, most touches sixty-five, most passes sixty-three, five times possession one. I mean, that those are the stats of a player who is very much settled in, and you know. The stats I read out earlier, the stats of a team that are very much dominating. So exactly what we're going to see. So just a couple of things I wanted to touch on in this, the second part of the game. And I've got a few things in mind, so you're going to have to forgive my meandering thoughts because um, I'm just going to go wherever they go. Um, so one is, I don't want to lose sight of this particular fact, um, but Kayo Saka's 100th uh, Premier League appearance for the club. Brilliant achievement for someone so young. We forget he's such a fixture in the side and he's played so many roles. And he's been here for, you know, so many iterations of this current side that we forget how young he really is. He's still, he's so important to us, but he's still so young. So just credit to him to even get to that stage, you know, very few players ever make it out of academy football. Very few players make it out of academy football at this level. Of the players who make it, very few ever get called, you know, called up to the first team proper. Very few win Um very few win uh, sort of a trophy and make you know over a hundred appearances. So for Kiyosaka, well done. Um, just wanted to get out as well. And like I said, for for people saying he's maybe not doing as well, I think what they mean is he's not he's not having the devastating moments. He's not scoring the goals. He's not getting the assists. But honestly, I think he's pivotal to what we're doing. Um, his driving runs, his jockeying on the um, side, he's drawing plays into him. That's creating space for other players. He's contributing to the attack. He's helping out the defense. I just think previously we've seen such an emphasis on the right-hand side bias that we had before. But now that the focus is on the left-hand side, people think, oh, he's not doing as much or he's not as effective. He is. He really, really is. It's just somebody else is getting the goals and the assists, and that's fine. Because there will come a time, just like it did with Odegaard, there'll come a time when the goals and the assists are coming from Saka. The beautiful thing is we could spread the goals and the assists across the pitch. It's exactly what we wanted, we did not want to overburden Bukayo Saka, and that's exactly the situation we're in now. We don't have to overburden Bukayo Saka. Um, even for the third goal, we saw players doubling up on him, they were doing that throughout the game, trying to kick him, trying to muscle him off the ball. We forget how much of a physical effort it is when you know six foot something defenders are really trying to bundle you off the ball, and he's able to stay strong, low center of gravity, see them off, retain possession, bring his teammates in. So, I'm not worried about Bukayo Saka. I just like the fact that we now have multiple attacking threats that makes us so much dangerous, uh, so much more dangerous. Bournemouth and, and other teams will face, won't really know or expect what's going to come from us because, like I said, we've got players now who can drive forward individually, Saka can do it, Martinelli can do it, Jesus can do it. We've got players who can pick a pass, Jesus can do it, Erdegaard can do it, Saka can do it. Um we've also got the likes of Shaka making runs into the box, Erdegaard making runs into the box, cutbacks that they can run onto. Um, we saw uh, against Leicester a moment of individual brilliance from Jesus for a goal. We've got so many different attacking threats um, that actually teams really won't know what to do. And for me, that's what's most important. So I'm not too worried about the Kukai sacker thing. Um, but I'm really happy with the game and the way it turned out. And it meant that it was our f- the first time we won three Premier League games since 2004-2005. Um, but what it did do is put us top of the league, nine points, three wins... Um, yeah what can what can you say really and in the last few weeks obviously we've seen Liverpool drop points to Fulham um, but this weekend we saw Chelsea lose to Leeds, City drop points against Newcastle Liverpool and United play today um, so one of them or both are dropping points um, and as we said Liverpool already dropped points, United have already dropped points so we are the only team with a 100% record at the start of this Premier League season and it is three games and we have sterner tests to come, Fulham look good they're coming up next. we got to play them. Um, Everton, not so much, but they didn't look good last season when they beat us. Um, United don't look good. They didn't look good last season when they beat us. So these are challenges we're going to have to face. What's more, other teams are going to scout us. They're going to see how we play. They're going to figure out our weaknesses, i.e. those defensive channels. And they're going to come up with ways to beat it. So we're going to need to adapt. So for now, we have enough variance, variation. The teams haven't been able to adapt. But at some point they will, and they'll find a way, and we've got to be able to address that, and I think that's where the likes of Smith Rowe and Vieira, Lukonga, Tomiyasu, Tierney are going to become so important. It's not going to be the case that we're just going to do this all season and be all comers. At some point, teams are going to figure us out, and we're going to need to be able to adapt to that. The brilliant thing is, we now have good enough players, a high enough technical level, enough variance in terms of the players are able to play different positions um, and play different roles in different ways that we now have more ways of answering anything people might come up with to counter our play. So realistically with what we've heard about Arteta being a very sharp tactical mind and seeing things other people don't see, hopefully he has the tools at his disposal now to come up with anything that people might uh, come up with to try and play us off the park. So it's really, really good um, to see that we're in that place and that we've got those options. So I'm really just looking forward to it. on that point one of the things that I was talking about before and I'm, I'm somewhat um, mindful of is this run of games so on oh, next week Saturday we play Fulham so this coming the next game's Fulham 27th um, another evening game this time at the Emirates really looking forward to that game because I think personally that it's a team we should beat similar to Bournemouth but Fulham are playing really well this season. Mitrovic is getting goals. He's on form. Um, so I'll be interested to see because I don't think Fulham are going to do a deep block. I think they're going to try and play us to some degree. I could be wrong, but I think they'll try and play us a little bit. So on on the one hand, if they do the space they leave in behind, we could be devastating. But on the other hand, the space we leave in behind, I can definitely see a Fulham team um, taking advantage of that. The Burn-Leno derby as well, that should be his first game back at the Emirates. So, I'm sure he'll get a lovely reception from the fans as long as he doesn't win. Mm. Um, and As long as he doesn't do an uh, uh, Adebayor knee slide uh, if Fulham score, which I'm sure he won't. But um, after Fulham, we've got Villa. And again, Villa have been a bit mixed this season. They haven't looked great, but they've had great moments and they've still got dangerous players. You know, Oli Watkins, Buendia, Danny Ings. So they've got threat. Um, so that one's away from home on Wednesday 31st, so a few days after the Fulham game. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see whether or not, say, for Fulham or Villa there's any rotation, given that they're sort of, you know, two games in a few days. But it may just be the same as usual, barring any need to make any changes. But after that, we're in September, and it's United, Everton, and Brentford. Um, Brentford have been fantastic this season so far. They really are a danger. They look like they've got better, because that's the thing, you know. We sometimes forget that there is strength in improving by kind of keeping players together while they lost um while they may have lost ericsson they've they've brought in players who add to their squad but the players they've had already like tony like imbrepo have improved so realistically they're going to be a challenge united are a dumpster fire i cannot begin to put into words look they bought casemiro and it's kind of annoying that he'll probably no not probably he'll be there in time for the game obviously so it's annoying that they'll have someone that good but I thought, I thought the same thing when they bought Rafael Varane. I mean, they literally, in one window, got Varane, Sancho, and Ronaldo. And they were still a dumpster fire. I mean, everyone was talking about how our season ended last season, how bad we were. Look at them. Look at the resources. Look how expensive their squad is. Look at the players they had. And look where they finished. So for all the people talking about us, United are a complete dumpster fire. So maybe Casemiro is the player that solves all of their problems. Or maybe he walks in the dressing room, kind of like the Childish Gambino uh, gif where he walks in with the pizzas from um, from the from community. That's so it, he walks in for the pizzas and everything's on fire and everyone's fighting and completely broken down and the world's just ending. He could just walk into the dressing room and be like, what the, f- the hell is this? I left Madrid multiple Champions League winner and league winner and I walk into this mess. Like, what? So he might not be the answer. He might just become yet another problem. You don't know. but. He certainly is a player that should, by all accounts, make them better and make them more solid in midfield. So we'll see what kind of challenge they pose, if any. Everton, again, not expecting much, but we still got a little bit of time in the transfer window left. Maybe they do something that makes them better or maybe they just turn up on the day because, you know, it's the Barclays, right? Anything can happen. So I'm looking at those games and what's going through my mind is we really should be in a position to be winning or at least taking points off all of those teams without a doubt, 100%. If you told me realistically what I would be expecting, um, I would be expecting three, six, nine. I'd be expecting maybe 13 points out of 15. Genuinely, I would, I I really would. maybe anywhere between 11 and 13 points, I would expect him, but certainly I'd, I think I'd be expecting 13 points, but we know the Premier League doesn't work that way and lots of things can happen between now and then. So the, the reason I bring all this up is because I'm loving where we are. I'm loving the moment. I very much have said a theme for me this season is kind of not thinking too much about what ifs and some of the bigger questions, which I'd like to do um, as you'll find out, but also just kind of enjoy some of the football and enjoy the moment. So that's something I'm doing. Um, but I am kind of looking forward to these games because, as I said, teams will start to watch us more, they'll scout us more, they'll start to figure things out, and we'll have to come up with ways of dealing with the challenges that they pose. And I'm looking at those two defensive channels as gaping holes to be attacked. Now, as I said, brilliant one-on-one defenders in Gabriel Magalhaes and in William Saliba. Obviously, Ben White um, as well is there. Kaio Saka can come back to help. Sinchenko's side is a bit more mm, because his, his one-on-one defending isn't great. Um, But that's where Tierney comes in. So maybe if we're facing more of a threat down that side, Tierney comes in and, you know, we sort of, our progressive play becomes a bit more right-sided and Tierney's sort of more defensive-sided and we shift over that way. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, And equally, I say all of that because we need to rack up enough points between the rest of August and September to be able to take advantage of October um, where we play, where, you know, essentially three of our six games are Spurs, Liverpool and City. Now, we've seen all three of those teams vulnerable um, in the last few weeks, in one one way or another. But they are all teams who have had a lot of success over us in the last few years, as much as it pains me to say. So one of the big things that I'm looking forward to this season is seeing us do better in those games. Now, obviously, we had the North London derby win last season against Spurs. And it's unfortunate how the other derby turned out. Um, But... You know, we had a decent performance against Liverpool where we we drew in the cup, but the rest of the performances, no bueno. Really good performance against City at the Emirates, but we still lost it. And the other performance, we got dominated, but we know the context. So realistically, we need to do better in those games because all of the good work we've done, somewhat out of the window if we somehow drop points in all of those games. If those are three losses, then you imagine it, it somewhat counteracts what we've done. But if we can rack up points now at this stage of season, it can somewhat mitigate if anything were to go wrong. But hey, I'm not thinking negatively, I'm just enjoying the moment. And the way we, way we are playing right now, compared to how all of those teams are playing, maybe Bar City, realistically, I just think um, we've got a shot. For the first time in a long time, we've got a shot at making a really good go of the league a really a really good go of getting top 4 and you know potentially even the Europa League so one thing i'm really curious to see is how some of the other squad players fit into this because again it's going to be very unlikely we're going to be able to go through the league season with this starting 11 intact week in week out for 38 league games so i really want to see if we're able to maintain our level of performance when eh uh, lokonga steps in or when a Vieira steps in, or when a Smith-Rowe steps in, or when a Tierney steps in, or Tommy Asu steps in. I'm pretty confident with those with the latter ones that's the case, but you'll be interested to see, right? Because Smith-Rowe is a brilliant player. Let's not forget how good he is. The injury sometimes, when people are absent through injury, it sometimes impacts how we see their talent. We sometimes think players aren't as good because they're injured a lot. Um, which isn't really the case. Sometimes it could be that their performance dips when they come back from injury because they're coming back from injury. And we see that and we think, oh, that's their level, they're not as good. Um, And I think there's a case of maybe people looking at maybe Smith Rowe and Tierney a little bit that way, not massively, just a little bit. And I think actually having those rotational options in means less pressure on them, less physical exertion, and hopefully we can keep them fit for longer and we can see their level. So the question is, Based on how we play, based on the fact that Smithro is offers something slightly different to a Shaka or a or a Martinelli, the fact that Tierney offers something different to Zinchenko, what does that mean for how we play when those players come in? Um, also, similar for Vieira, what kind of uh, plays Vieira going to do? Now we've seen with Saka, for example, the way he linked up with Ben White in this game, um, Saka coming infield, Ben White overlapping, um, but we know Saka also has the ability to drive towards the the byline and put it in a cross. Is Vieira going to be more of an inside forward in that he's going to pick up the ball and his inclination is going to be come inside and do those sort of of floated balls into the box. And so whoever's on the right side is going to overlap. Or does he have the ability to go inside, outside like Bukai Saka? So I'll be curious to see when he steps in. And if he's in that position, maybe he comes in for Shaka. We, you know, we don't know at this stage. So I'm curious to see. Um, otherwise, you know, with that game over and with us looking forward to the next few games, um, there's a question mark over transfers. So we've heard the news from Ornstein regarding Nicola Pepe. Uh, don't know what the situation is yet um because as far as we know he was he wasn't in the matchday squad because of that um that potential transfer. So we're going to see what happens this week whether or not that move materializes. I think ultimately we all know that um a move is the best thing for all parties. The question is the the question is literally going to be you know what happens really, um, whether or not the the wage situation is going to be a problem. And I think realistically, or I hope that we're able to come to a, an agreement with Nice and get that deal done because he needs to move on, he needs to play, we need to get his value up um, or we need to be able to sell him. Hopefully there's an obligation to buy included or at least an option to buy of a decent set, a decent price. You throw in an option to buy of 25 mil and I'm I'm all over it. So let's see what happens. It may just be a straight loan, fair enough. Um, so, Loan Watch: Nuno Tavares still doing brilliantly for Marseille. Uh, Flo Balogun three goals in three games for Reims, which is fantastic for him. As I said, I thought it would be a great move in terms of how much they need a striker, and it looks like they're relying on him, and he's getting the goals. Um, like I said, it will be a team that isn't going to be dominating games, so he's going to get very few chances and he's going to need to learn to be clinical and learn to take them, and it looks like that's exactly what he's doing, so credit to him as well. Um, got to decide what we're doing with the likes of Bellerin as well. Um, honestly, I just think that's going to get towards deadline day and we're going to see a contract termination, that's what I think, so we'll see what happens there, although there seems to be rumblings that he's one of the many players Barcelona are interested in, but seeing as they still haven't managed to register Jules Koundé. And I think they're still working on the Marcus Alonso deal. Let's see what happens. I suspect he wants to go to Betis, and and I think he'll probably get his move, but it will just be on what terms. Um, But yeah, other than that, it's the question of the mystery winger, right? If Pepe does go, what are Arsenal going to do in that space? Um, There's also question marks about whether or not uh, Arsenal are going to make a move for, uh, for Tielemans. I honestly don't know. All the reporting seems to suggest that we were just waiting towards the end of the window so we can get the rest of our business done because we were pretty confident that deal could be done. But there's always risks with that, right? If we wait too long and another team realizes they need a midfielder, maybe they're going for him and offering something more and suddenly we've either got to pay more to get him or we've got to offer him more for him to come when we could have got him earlier. So swings aroundabouts roundabouts with that kind of thing, lots of risk. So we'll see where it goes. But for now, ultimately for me, my focus, as I said, is very much on the players who are here and the games we have got to come Um, and just enjoying the win. And that was a fantastic win with some fantastic play with some great goals. Good work. Arteta deserves credit. Eddie deserves credit. The players deserve credit. Listen, if if you're going to attack them or criticize them when things go wrong, you need to praise them and give them the love when things go well. You can't have it both ways. You can't say Arteta is responsible when things go badly and say he has nothing to do with the success. And same for the players. You can't say it's all on the players when things go badly, but then give Arteta all the credit when things go well. They are a team in the truest sense of the word I think all or nothing showed that ultimately when the boys when the club do well they deserve praise and when things go wrong we got to look at it and say why is that happening but for me right now everything you could want the club to be doing in terms of the performances on the pitch that's what's happening and so credit to them for that if nothing else so anyway that's it for me we'll have a couple of one shots throughout the week as well as a full pod out on Thursday looking ahead to the game against Fulham um so you know the deal like subscribe follow you know retweet repost all of that good stuff get in contact let us know your thoughts what you liked what you're looking forward to anything going on with the world arsenal and just yeah get in touch but anyway people that's it from me enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be talk soon we'll, we'll be in touch don't worry about that have a good one